Welcome to my international trade podcast. On today's episode, we will be diving into the story of tobacco as a commodity, its dark past, the intricacies of production, and how it is traded in the present day. And let me tell you, there's a lot of information to get into. So get comfortable and get ready to hear the story of tobacco. Tobacco is a plant native to the American continent. It is consumed worldwide by over 1.3 billion people, and it is used in a variety of products from cigars to shishas. In the city of Toronto, tobacco is referred to as graba. That's a Jamaican term used mostly by Caribbean youth in the city. But we should start at the beginning with the history of tobacco and the advantages and disadvantages of its international trade. In the 15th century, Christopher Columbus brought tobacco seeds from Europe, returning from his ravaging of the Americas. However, tobacco was not introduced to most Europeans until the mid-16th century. This was one of the first foreign products introduced to Europe, and it was part of the budding diversification of Europe's consumption and created a new industry for economic competition. It was in 1612, when tobacco was introduced to the British colony of Virginia, that the world saw its first successful commercial crop. Tobacco became popular among Europeans, and it was farmed on American soil until it became the largest export of the Virginia colony in just seven years. Demand was rising, and the tobacco industry expanded to accommodate that demand, until it reached a global scale. In today's day and age, tobacco is grown, processed, and sold in six of seven continents. And that was a great success for tobacco. However, the international trade brought many disadvantages. Tobacco farming and curing, which is the preparation of the tobacco leaf, is one of the main causes of deforestation in the world. Acres of forest are cleared for farmland, and hundreds of thousands of trees are cut down as firewood for the tobacco curing process. And environmental damages are not the only pitfalls of the tobacco trade. The tobacco industry cultivates over $4 billion of revenue globally per year. However, countries such as China and the United States have tobacco farmers who struggle to support themselves. It's often assumed that only third world countries suffer the effects of poverty. However, China and the U.S. are considered first and second world countries that have farmers that will never see a dime of that $4 billion payout. Studies done by university researchers shows that 86% of tobacco farmers in China must find other means of making money because they are in a, quote, urgent need for cash for household use. Big corporations, or in China's case, the government, do not pay farmers enough for their crops, and farmers are struggling to afford basic necessities. America's history with tobacco is even more gruesome. Scottish slave traders kidnapped people from West Africa and had them shipped to the colony of Virginia, or the West Indies, forcing them into slavery. These people worked on tobacco plantations, which was cruel work and astonishing heat. They were stripped of their language, stripped of their identity, and beaten cruelly. The average life expectancy on one of these Scottish plantations was no more than seven years. Of course, this was the ultimate injustice, and a large example of how the international trade of tobacco can be exploitative. As we continue to explore the international story of tobacco, we can learn about the countries that hold major stakes in the imports and exports of tobacco, and how absolute and comparative advantages affect production and trade. When it comes to absolute advantage in tobacco trade, China's production is unparalleled. They are the leading producer and revenue leader of tobacco and tobacco products, bringing in a gross revenue of just under $300 million a year and producing 2.8 million tons of tobacco per year. Comparatively, the United States, which is the second largest revenue producer of tobacco, produces less than half of China's revenue at only $121 million. In 1999, China's production of tobacco leaf made up almost one-third of world output. 
And while that number has dropped, they still hold the absolute advantage of tobacco trade in the world. However, we still have to look at comparative advantage. For this example, we will be looking at one of China's largest trading partners, Indonesia. Indonesia is the leading importer of China's tobacco. They import $141 million worth of the product each year. Indonesia itself is one of the world's largest producers of cinnamon, a product China does not produce efficiently. China produces 2.8 million tons of tobacco and only 37,000 tons of cinnamon. Indonesia produces 196 tons of cinnamon and only 87,000 tons of tobacco. So, when China produces cinnamon, they have an opportunity cost of 75 tons of tobacco, giving Indonesia the comparative advantage in cinnamon. And when Indonesia produces tobacco, they have an opportunity cost of 2.25 tons of cinnamon, giving China the comparative advantage in tobacco production. Now, I know this is a lot of international trade and outside influences, so let's move a little closer to home and look at the tobacco trade in Canada. As we know, China is the largest producer of tobacco in the world, but Canada produces much of its own tobacco, keeping in mind that China's population is 1.4 billion and Canada's population is only 38 million, the country of Canada produces enough tobacco without having to rely on many imports. Canada produces 20,000 tons of tobacco yearly and exports $11 million worth of tobacco, mainly to the United States, Egypt, and Italy. An important fact regarding tobacco trade in Canada is the amount of illicit trade between Canada and the U.S. This illegal trade is caused by barriers to trade and tariff rates between Canada and the U.S. The RCMP's criminal investigation says that there are at least 50 illegal cigarette factories and over 300 smoke shacks in Ontario and Quebec alone. This is because Canada has some of the highest tobacco taxes in the world, with tariff rates of 8% for strip tobacco and 12.5% for cigarettes. This tax makes up nearly 70% of retail prices. Canada says these taxes are for two reasons. First, to reduce cigarette smoking in the country. And second, to replace tobacco shipments with a more profitable commodity. For many countries, including the United States, Mexico, and most of Europe, tariffs on tobacco products are around 50 to 60% of retail prices. This is common for many developed countries, as health experts now know how harmful tobacco is. And the tariffs are used to deter the public from consuming products. However, in many countries in the East, namely China, that holds not only the top position for producer, but also top position for consumer, has a tariff rate of only 40%, making tobacco products among the most affordable and accessible in the world. China and surrounding countries are generally the only nations with extremely little to no barriers to trade. For many other countries, these tariffs are the most relevant example of barriers to trade affecting tobacco, like when the Trump administration implemented import taxes on Chinese tobacco products. Due to the political tensions Trump had with China, he imposed this new tariff on Chinese imports, and it greatly damaged the tobacco industry in America. The Washington Post says that there are over 2,000 growers suffering the effects of these tariffs. Additionally, no American farmers were granted any domestic subsidies to lessen the loss. North Carolina alone lost $250 million since 2018 when the tariffs were introduced. And even now with new trade agreements, Chinese imports to the U.S. have decreased tremendously. A non-tariff barrier to trade, which is unique to the tobacco industry, are health concerns with the consumption of tobacco. Many countries acknowledge the dangers of consuming tobacco and have implemented tobacco control measures to limit the amount of tobacco that can be produced, imported, or exported from their country. In fact, it is actually because of these control measures that trade agreements are being made between certain countries to undermine public health and prioritize corporations' earnings. In 2003, 
The United States saw rising conflicts with many countries following discussions within the World Trade Organization. As a result, the U.S. looked to negotiate and make new trade agreements with these countries, which included agreements about tobacco. That same year, the United States enacted free trade agreements with Singapore and 34 other countries in the Western Hemisphere, including Cuba, that actively eliminated tobacco tariffs. And there were many tobacco companies that pushed for these agreements, especially the three largest tobacco companies. These three companies are Philip Morris International, Altria, and British American Tobacco. Philip Morris is a company that follows the business structure of import-export business and wholly owned subsidiaries. They manufacture tobacco products in developing countries, export them, and sell them through their wholly owned subsidiaries, such as Marlboro, Virginia Slims, and Merit, just to name a few. Altria and British American Tobacco follow the same structure. However, Altria has been expanding into joint ventures and licensing, with their logo beginning to appear on smartphones and their recent investment in a recreational cannabis. But let's stay focused on the topic at hand. While I'm sure Altria has put out some great smartphones, we are talking about tobacco here. So let's get into the economy of tobacco. First, we should start off by introducing the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, and the World Trade Organization, or WTO. These are two main organizations that control tobacco production and trade. Essentially, both organizations work to lower tariffs and lift restrictions on tobacco. The IMF works primarily to lift trade restrictions of private and state-owned tobacco manufacturers. The World Trade Organization creates bound tariffs for tobacco, which put a cap on how much a country can tax tobacco products. The organization also alters tariffs by enforcing most favorite nation treatment, a requirement that says if a nation grants one country a lower tobacco tax, it must grant this privilege to all of its trading partners in the, the WTO. So great, we get that. Countries introduce tariffs, so of course there has to be someone who opposes these tariffs for the economy and such. But how does the state of economy actually impact trade? Well, I'll give you an example. Malawi is a country that relies on agricultural exports to make up 40% of the country's total GDP. 80% of employment in its agricultural sector comes strictly from farming tobacco. It is a country so reliant on one agricultural product that the IMF recognizes it as a country extremely vulnerable to external shocks. When tobacco downtrends globally, Malawi's GDP follows suit. And when the Western anti-smoking movement increased tariffs on imports, the country suffered millions of dollars in loss. This forced Malawi to begin new agricultural ventures and diversify their crops. The government adopted new policies, focused on the liberalization of agricultural production, and started promoting smallholder agriculture. Because tobacco is such a large export earner for the country, volatility in exports almost directly affects inflation and currency rates. When the country earns more foreign currency, the exchange rate is expected to appreciate. And when the country can't sell tobacco, exchange rates plummet. Purchasing power parity, some alliteration for you guys, is typically supposed to be regulated through legislation in developed countries. And in developing nations with high volatility, well, prices are unregulated and fluctuate depending on the country's current economic standpoint. If your currency value drops, as it often does in developing countries, well, you're going to have to charge more for tobacco, and there's not much that the average farmer or consumer can do about it. And while the tobacco crop is very successful in many parts of the world, there are countries that just flat out rejected tobacco. This happened to the Caribbean at the beginning of the Atlantic slave trade. Originally, European plantation owners were invested in tobacco. It was a high export crop for the Caribbean. However, it was not a very feasible crop. Tobacco is very damaging to the land around it. The plant sucks the nutrients from the ground. For this reason, tobacco plantations began to deplete in the Caribbean, and European traders looked elsewhere for new sources of tobacco supply. Plantations in the Caribbean refocused on using slaves to farm sugar, and this became their new source of revenue. 
As for modern times, in Caribbean culture, smoking is generally seen as an activity for the lower class, and it is not romanticized like it is in American culture. So, while many of us may never smoke tobacco in our lifetime, it is likely it has touched some part of your generational history. Tobacco is a plant that holds deep value and has many stories to share. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode about the history, trade, and economics of tobacco. Tune in next week for more exciting episodes, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. Thank you for listening.